The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Temptation. How many of you have been tempted this past week to do something stupid? Okay. Today is about temptation, and the reason why I chose that video is because all of the Old Testament has stories for us to learn from, but so often we approach the Bible as good advice and not good news. The Bible has plenty of good advice, but it is primarily good news. And today we're looking in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, and it's about temptation. Some of you may know the very, very popular verse at the end of this passage this morning. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Today, I pray that you'll be able to walk out of here equipped to deal with the temptations that will come your way. Every day, there's going to be something stretching you away from God, away from living the way that you know you are called to live. So I pray that your hearts are prepared. If you haven't flipped or scrolled to your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, try to do that with a sneaky eye as I pray us in. Lord, the number of times I've been tempted this week is beyond my count. I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, give us the ability to not only endure the temptation when it hits us, but to be able to see temptation coming. Your word tells us that, that the adversary prowls around our lives looking for opportunities to take us down. I pray that we would be an aware chapel family, that we would be people who have our eyes so fixed towards you and so alert to our surroundings that when temptation comes, we are prepared with your armor, that we are prepared with your sword and your shield to go to battle. Help us this morning, Lord. Help those in here who have sp specific temptations that have crushed their lives to find freedom today. Help those in here who have been battling the same temptation for years or decades to find freedom today. And let it be by the power of your word in Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. There's a game that I used to love playing, and I don't think they let kids play it anymore because my kids haven't come home and told me about it. But how many of you remember the game Red Rover, Red Rover? Okay, I don't think they let our children play this game anymore. Um, probably for a good reason, right? Because here's how the game goes. If, if you kids have never played, you played some Red Rover, it's probably the new version with Nerf. Because here's the version we played. Red Rover, Red Rover, send this victim over. And they would run over, and the thing is, you we should do this. We're gonna have a we're gonna probably have this chapel family picnic at some point coming up. And I just want to play this with the grown-ups, see who can get injured. You just hold hands and you send someone over, they have to run through and they have to break through your hands. Now, in the olden days, it went like this: little Johnny would come running over, and, and you would see, oh, he's coming to me. He's coming to me. And you would just grab your partner's hand, and we wouldn't just take him into the stomach. You would take Red Rover's chain of fury right into the throat punch of little Johnny. And you would get Johnny in the ground and you'd look at him and just point with your nose and laugh. Now, if it was your turn to get sent over, and here's how it was played, because you, you wanted to win. You wanted to get everyone to come over to your side. If they didn't make it through your chain, they had to join your chain. So what you would do is you'd pick off all the weak ones first. You say, let's get that little guy right there. He ain't coming through. But then, if you were on the losing team, and you're one of the big boys in the end. They say, Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Jesse right over. It's a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. He's going to spinning back kick you in the chin. And what, what a big person like Jesse would do is they would look for the weak link on the other side. They'd look for the, the two people who didn't look like they had a chance of stopping him. And I could picture it in my mind. I would never want to play against Jesse because he could jump kick. You could still jump kick, right? He could still jump kick. And I could just picture someone like Jesse coming over and, and finding the link that he knows he could take out. He would just look to the distance and he would see he would see Don, his wife, and Jared holding hands. 
And I'm not saying that because you're small, but just because you're in the front row. And I'm going to pick on people who sit in the front row. That's why people scoot back. And I could just see Jesse running over like a thundering buffalo in heat. Ah! And then jump up. Pow, pow. Knock him out. Get people back in his team. Now, the reason I love this game and the reason I'm a full proponent of playing this game is because when you play Red Rover, you have the strategy. You want to take out the weak things. You see who's coming. You have time to prepare. And, and the more that I live the Christian life, oftentimes this idea of temptation, of things coming into our life, I think they take us off guard and they catch us off guard because we are unprepared. We're not looking at what the enemy's throwing at us any longer. We're just content to live our lives, kind of humbly doodling along. We get consumed with these things. Of, we watch other people live life. We watch other people play sports. We watch other people talk politics. And sometimes it is so hard to see the realities all around us. That there's an enemy, and he's picking us off. And he's not, gonna, he's not just going to send his weak people over to get you. He's not going to send over something that's super obvious and easy to see. He's going to tempt you in the areas where you are weak. But I want you to take courage today because God's people have been dealing with temptation from the beginning of time. The very first temptation that ever happened when the very first accusation and tempting came in the garden. The good news is, is that Satan doesn't have a lot of plans, but he uses that one plan very well. To get you to turn your eyes away from God's promises and to trust something else. So, so let's take this Red Rover mentality into this because there's a big team that we have. And God's going to talk about it in his word right here. He says in verse 1, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, everyone on our team, Team Christianity, Team God, Team Jesus, here's the blessings that they got. There's five that God talks about here in this passage. Our ancestors were all under the cloud, which was a, the picture in the presence of God going as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They got to follow literally a pillar in front of them. They all passed through the sea. This is the Red Sea that split so they could walk through on dry land. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. When they were hungry, God fed them. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. When they were thirsty and complaining, God gave them water from the rock. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now, if you're not into reading the Bible, if you haven't read it much, the reason why I wanted to play that video is so that you would understand when you read through the Old Testament scriptures, the only scriptures that Jesus grew up reading, he didn't have the New Testament, he was making it. He was pointing in the scripture saying, this is me. This is me. I am the bread of life. I am the Passover lamb. And he continually made this point. One of the sermons that I cannot wait to listen to in the Bible, it's only mentioned, we don't have any of the details, was after Jesus resurrected, it said he walked seven miles on the road to Emmaus and he veiled his identity from these two travelers and they were all downtrodden. And it said Jesus went through the whole Old Testament pointing them and saying, look, this was pointing about the Christ. This was about the Christ. This was about the Christ. All of these things in the Old Testament, from the garden to Abraham to Moses, to the slavery, to the redemption, to the Ten Commandments, all of these things were signposts pointing to Christ. And at the end, he revealed his face, and they were astonished. I think that was probably the best Old Testament Bible study ever given. And in this passage, Paul is telling us that when the Israelites were in the desert, they drank from the rock that was Christ. They followed the cloud that was the presence of God. They were baptized in the sea into Moses. But something happened. Even though they had seen God move, even though they had felt God's presence, even though they had literally drinking miracle water and had bread fall out of the sky that they could eat. Verse 5 says, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. I cannot ma imagine seeing something like an ocean split open, walking through it. And I don't know if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, but it's my favorite version of this. Like the old school Charlton Heston movie is nice, but you could tell it's like some sort of clay thingy they did. But if you see the Prince of Egypt, there's this scene where Moses does his little ninja twirl staff goes down and the water's kind of 
beam out, and it's animated, but in my heart, it's how it happened. Because as they're walking through, <laughs> you just see a whale just cruising right along. And then you see turtles and fish. And then the people go through this sea, and then the sea collapses on the Egyptians when they try to follow them. And then they go to the mountain of God, and this is not in the animated version. They promptly begin to get hammered, have sex with tons of people, make an idol, and worship it. And I'm thinking, if these people saw this, how do I encourage people today in America? We have so many things to distract us. I don't think that any of you have seen the Gulf of Mexico get split open, as far as I know. I don't think many of you have seen somebody hit a rock and have water miraculously come out. I, don't, I have not met any of you that said one day when I was hungry, I prayed and the Lord dropped honey buns all over the floor. I never met it. These people saw these things, experienced these things, and they still turned away and fell to their temptations. Verse 6 tells us these things, all of these things, that the Israelites went through, from Genesis to Malachi, all of the prophecies, all of the pain, all of the turning away from God, they took place as an example for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Desiring evil things. Man, I've thought a lot about that this week. This, this is like the last week on earth I want to talk about temptation. One of, our, one of our elders has this saying, and it's, it's probably not like the most eloquent way to put it, but he says often, all of us are only one step away from stupid. And I think, and when I first heard it, I thought, no, not me. But if you think about it, we're all one step away from stupid. Just one step. One step away from not realizing that all of the things that are going to collide with our lives, it's been thrown at God's people from the beginning of time until our lives now. The temptations, they're not new. Satan's plan is not original. He's got one plan. Stop looking at God and look at something else. Now, this, I was thinking about why people desired evil things, why people gave in to temptation. It goes on to describe, there's, in the first passage, there's five things that, the blessings that they had. And in this section of this text, there's five failures. They desired evil. And then he says in verse 7, don't become idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. You'd think that would really shape up a, a body of believers, right? Like if, if you gave in to temptation, let, let's just say for the sake of fun, that everyone in here gave up to some temptation this week, and this week on Wednesday, God said, this half is dead. I'll bet you for at least four days, this half is going to behave. I'm just going to go out on a limb. But it didn't last for them. They continued to turn away and give in to temptation. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is because it's just so wild as a pastor. During the church service, there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they were trying to appear to be better believers than they were. So they lied about the offering that they gave. And Peter gave them a chance. And some of you know the story. If you grew up in Sunday school, I don't think we teach it back there, but we should. Husband comes in. Did you really get this much money and this is the amount? And he said, yes, yes, I did. And the Lord struck him dead, boom, right in the church service. I mean, I can't imagine the, the power that that must have like, just rippled out. And then the wife comes in. They drag the dude out, and the wife comes in. Peter's like, I'm going to give the woman a chance. Is this true? Is this a lie? It's true. Boom, dead. And it said that awe went through the church body. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that even with, even with these insane almost sounding examples 23,000 people dying people getting tent pegs and they're getting killed armies coming in and crushing them God putting people into discipline and subjection because of their constant desire for evil these things are an example for us 
And then in verse 9, it says, Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by the snakes. So often in temptation, we, adults, play the same game that teenagers played when I was a youth pastor, talking about purity and, and what it looks like to try to honor God with your sexuality. And the question that I asked and the question that was asked to me hundreds or thousands of times is how far is too far? We're playing the game of, of okay, I want to live for Jesus, but how far can I go until it's not living for Jesus? How close can I get to the line of the cliff before Jesus says, don't be dumb? We're one step away from stupid if that's our approach. We're testing Christ. If we're saying, how close can I get to sin without sinning? We don't do that with any other area in our life. I mean, most of us don't. Most of us don't. I'm not a huge fan of heights, admittedly. And um, I don't know what this thing is in me. It's got to be some psychological self-preservation. But whenever I get close to a cliff, um, do you guys get that wobbly thing where you start to like, ah, and it's like in the movies when the ground seems to like go down and up at the same time. That's how I feel when I go out on cliffy things or when we have to change light bulbs in here and no one else wants to climb on a ladder. I just look down and I'm like, ah. And it's not, I think I could skydive because that's like an instant death if you die. I'm more afraid of like a ladder drop. Like a ladder drop is not a good height. Like when you're at that light bulb way up at the top of the middle ceiling, that's, that's a probably live but not very well drop. And I... The thing about temptation is if we're testing Christ, if we're constantly going to say, I'll follow you, but only so far, we've already lost the temptation battle. You've already bought into the lie that you can walk two directions, two opposing directions at the same time. You cannot do it. Let us not test Christ as some of them did. And were destroyed by the snakes. Fun fact, if you ever see hospitals with the staff and the serpent on it, that's straight out of the Bible. In that passage in Numbers, people were bitten by poisonous snakes. All they had to do was look up at the bronze serpent that was raised up on a staff. And if they looked to the bronze serpent on the staff, they were healed. I don't know what type of person gets bit by a poisonous snake, is writhing in pain, and says, I don't want to look at it. But I do know that type of person because that person is me and you. And then we get to... My favorite verse, this one, if this doesn't apply to church people, I don't know what does. And don't complain, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. These things all happened as examples. The Old Testament is full of examples. They were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Examples. One of the interesting things about raising children and trying to teach them about Jesus is that they're friends with other kids. And those kids give me all the examples I need to teach my children about Jesus. My kids, I'm sure, give their parents examples, for good or for bad. Right now, I could tell you something. Um, my kids are in a battle as we sit here this morning. My, my wife's sick. Two of my kids came down with uh, pneumonia this past week, so they're all antibiotic up. I'm pretty sure Amy's got it right now. And my kids watched some of this kid's YouTube challenges, and they decided to do this incredible thing. We got a bunk bed this week um, so that we can house foster kids after we kick out the foster teens that we have, who I'm related to, so they're not really foster kids, but I call them that in my head. And the bunk bed came in all of these boxes. So my kids, downstairs in our entryway, they built a five-room, two-story cardboard fort. Don't ask me how it's two stories. I haven't figured it out either, but it is. I looked at it, and I said, this is not going to work well for someone. And then after they built this fort, they said, Daddy, we want to do a challenge. Oh, do you? Yeah, we want to do a 24-hour challenge. Who can stay in the fort for 24 hours? And they were all fired up. They said, will you give us a prize? I'll give you a prize. You go in there for 24 hours. And I said, here's the challenge, though. Because I've seen you sit in a box and stare at your screens for 24 hours. That's called just, like, you and your phones in your room. Here's the challenge. You go in this fort with no screens for 24 hours, and you can't fight. And if you fight or antagonize your siblings, you lose, you get kicked out. You don't get the prize. Then you see them all get serious. And Jack says, Daddy, that's too hard. Well, Jackson, it's called a challenge, not an easy. Do you want to do it or not? Do you want Buffalo Wild Wings or not? 
So last night, they had packed in blankets and tables, and there's a lamp in there. They have windows. They have a balcony where they can crawl out onto some balcony that they created out of a toy box thing. And they all smuggled food in there. I didn't have the heart to tell them that roaches in Florida are going to find their way into that little box, box trap of food. And they're in there right now. Amy's having the most peaceful morning of her life. And to top it all off, I took my security camera that I put to watch my mailbox from those years ago when my mailbox was accosted those many times. And I put my security camera that records a loop of HD video and audio, and it's aimed right at their fort. And I could see from one side to the other. I could hear them. I could talk to them right now through my phone, and I did it last night because I saw them kind of, how far can I go out? I said, more than half your body can't leave. And I saw Silas like, I said, if half your body leaves, you're out. If you get in a fight with your siblings, you're out. And if I call you out, then you're done. You get no prize. I don't think any one of them is going to win this thing. If I'm being honest. They can't get along when they got 2,900 square feet. They can't, not, they can't resist the urge to make their siblings lose. And the three, it's just the three of them. I didn't put Bella in the boxes, so don't call CPS on me, Don. Just the three that volunteered. And, and here's, here's what's going on before they go into the fort. Savannah comes to me and says, Daddy, I've got a plan. I'm going to annoy the brothers. And I'm going to annoy them, but in a calm voice until they quit. I said, that's not a bad plan, sweetie. She just smiles, gets the whole box of tricks, cereal, and water bottles, and heads in. <laughs> Jackson comes up to me, says, Daddy, I've got a plan. <laughs> I'm going to make creepy noises after the lights go off until Savannah runs out screaming. <laughs> I said, what are you going to do about Silas? He goes, i got no plan for Silas. Neither do I, buddy. We're just praying for him. <laughs> and then Silas comes up to me. I said, buddy, do you got a plan? Because your sister and your brother, they got a plan. And Silas says, yeah, I got a plan. So what's your plan, buddy? I'm going to win. <laughs> oh. I said, are you going to get scared if, if, if Jackson goes out and taps out in the night? I ain't going to get scared. Are you going to get annoyed by your sister? What if she tries to annoy you on purpose? What if she just digs her toes into your ribs or something? I'll punch her. No, you won't. It's, I, I was watching the video here a little bit earlier because I just loved seeing this and listening to these kids. And it's, it's all starting to unravel. That Jackson can't scare them anymore, but for sure Savannah can annoy them. And I don't know if it's going to be Savannah's annoyance or Silas's will and drive to victory. But I, I do know one thing. The temptation. Temptation hits us all in, this, in similar ways. So I'm going to give you a couple practical tools. Because God has all of these examples. And these examples, when I was looking through them and I was reading commentaries, I, I started, okay, this is a good illustration for this. I'm going to give you two acronyms today. First one is HALT. If you want to know when you're going to be tempted, you can look at the stories in the Bible. The people got tempted under very specific circumstances internally. The first one is hungry. When you're hungry, you're going to get tempted. And I don't just mean food, but I also mean food. Some of you know exactly who you are. We literally have a word in our culture called hangry. When you get hungry, you are more t tempted. You are more likely to fall into temptation because your patience is shorter. Some of you are this person. Some of you are married to this person. Some of you have created these people. But it's not just hunger for food. It's hunger for anything that, that you think will satisfy you that's more, that you're putting up more than God. Hunger for, for some relationship. Hunger for some possession. Hunger for some actual food. Hunger for some authority in your life. When you are hungry, when you're desiring something strongly, because this is what the Israelites did. They saw God move. They had this past history, but they said, we want something more. They grumbled in the desert because they were physically hungry. And they gave in to temptations. And for them, it meant, I'm going to turn to another God, and I'm going to feast for them and party for them and trust in them. The next part of this, after hunger, is anger. 
And when you're hungry, temptation can break through. When you're angry, when you're angry, temptation will find a way to grab your life and choke it out. I don't know how many of you struggle or have struggled with anger, but it's one of those things, at least in my experience, that when you get truly angry, you can't even hide anymore what you're really feeling. I was at dinner with some friends on Friday, and uh, my wife gave me a twitch. And I'm usually very, but one of the people we were at dinner with said, I just saw your lip twitch. I've never seen that before. Because one of my primary rules of life was, was broken. Not intentionally, but unintentionally. But it kind of set me off like a, like a little PTSD trigger. And I, I did this, I think. And I looked at Amy. And I shot my lasers through her. I said, this is not okay. And I was doing the, the marriage talk. You know the marriage talk where you say nothing with your mouth? But you say it all with your eyes. It's not okay. We're going to have a conversation later. And I'm going to win. Because I'm angry. And I, I just said dumb things. Like for 35 minutes. And the next morning I wake up. And I go to men's Bible study. And I'm there. And I send Amy a text. I'm sorry I was grumpy and dumb. And then she apologized. Because she was in the wrong. She's not here today to defend herself. But when I was angry. I said things that I didn't really mean. When I was angry, it gave me such a little window where I, I was so zoomed in on the anger, I couldn't actually see the temptation coming in, the temptation that I was going to complain, the temptation that I was going to use hurtful words, the temptation that I was going to have some standard that is not found necessarily in the Bible, but I wanted to make it up so that I could be in control again. When you're hungry, when you're angry, Temptation is knocking at the doors because it knows that your resistance is weak in those moments. Also the same when you're lonely. When you're lonely, when you, when you need the approval of other people, when you feel like there's no one around you, you will oftentimes give in to the temptation. The temptation to lash out. The temptation to, to dumb down your opinions so that other people will like you more. The temptation to not stand up for what is true and right and good and pure. And it happens again and again and again in the Bible. When Elijah the prophet has this amazing victory and all of these prophets get destroyed, but then he finds himself alone, he ends up running alone and hungry into the desert where God has to feed him and encourage him again to remind him that he's not alone. Now they had all of these external things. They had the cloud. They had the sea. They had the bread from heaven. They had, they had amazing miracles time after time after time. And they still turned away. What do we have that keeps us from turning away? Because when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired, temptation will come to you through those weak points. Temptation will come in like a cockroach through an unsealed door. Temptation will come into your life and destroy you. So how do you overcome it? These people couldn't, and they got to follow a cloud around. These people couldn't, and they got to literally see glory and lightning beaming on the top of a mountain. They saw a man come down with tablets that were written by the finger of God, and they still turned away and gave in to temptation. So how do we do it? The Bible's full of all these stories. I want to tell you one thing straight out of the gates. <laughs> you will fail to temptation. God does not want you to fail when you are tempted. If you try to do this on your own, you will be eaten alive. So it starts in verse 12. If you want to know how to overcome temptation, temptation to any sin, temptation to anger, temptation to, to lust, temptation to rage, temptation to self, selfishness, temptation to complaining. Man, could I, I could do a whole sermon about complaining. The Israelites complained all the way through their history. You know who never complains about anything? Church people. Never. I've never heard a church person complain about anything. 
That's, that's interesting to me. If you're new to church, that was a joke. That's all church people do. As a matter of fact, today, when some of you leave, you're going to say, the worship was this, the sermon was that, the air conditioning was this, this was that. So if, if you want to overcome all this, these temptations, temptations to complain, temptations to sexual immorality, temptations to worshiping something that's not God, whoever thinks he stands, whoever thinks he stands on his own must be careful not to fall. No temptation, not one temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. What, if there's a temptation in your life that keeps eating at you, destroying you, biting you at the ankles, tearing you down, I need you to hear this. It is not a unique situation to you. It may feel unique to you because it may be the first time you've gone through it. But there is someone somewhere in the family of Jesus that has gone through uh, the similar temptations. Because Satan's plan does not change. His plan is this. God said this, but I'm telling you to try that. And every temptation is a variation of that. God says marriage and sexual unity and love is good. But I'm telling you, try this version of sexuality. Where you get to choose what you want. You get to play your own standards. God says that love and charity and forgiveness are good. But Satan says, yeah, yeah, just love them. Don't say you hate them. You could even say, I love them. But, I, but it's okay to be a little bit bitter and not trust, not forgive everything. It's okay to say you forgive them, but then not really forgive them in here. Satan's schemes are always the same. They take something God says and he twists it just a bit. And you just have a little bit of that temptation a little bit of that temptation at a time. And before you know it, it begins eating you from the inside out. There is no temptation that you're going through that you cannot find help from in the word and in the community of believers. Now, this is obviously me calling you to something. If you're not in the word, if you're not reading the stories, knowing the stories, listening to the stories, and if you're not in community, of course temptation is going to overcome you in your life. The Bible has set up, and God has set up intrinsically in who we are. When he created human beings, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit said, we are going to create them in our image. Man and women are created in the image of God. In the image of a Father, Son, and Spirit. If God is community, we are so arrogant to think that we can live like God outside of community. If God is three in one, how could we possibly think that we can overcome temptation as Lone Ranger Christians? But God is faithful. I love, I know this joke has been beat up here. But I need to point out, Chapel family, that we love the butts of God in the Bible. And we call them here big butts. But God, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. Who is faithful? Yeah. Y you are not faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, here's how I read that. <laughs> God, you must think I'm awfully able. Because there are temptations. Anyone had a temptation where you think, I cannot bear this. This situation in my life is so difficult. This situation in my life is disintegrating me. And then you read a passage like this. It says, no temptation is beyond what I'm able to overcome. He's not going to allow it. Now, it's not in your own strength, you see. It's not in your own ability to stand. It's in your ability to lean on someone who did not break under temptation in the desert. It's in your ability to look to someone who took all of your failures to temptation upon himself. Be careful. Be careful to try to stand on your own two feet against the schemes of the devil. Temptation is everywhere. But God is faithful. He, he, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. There's a, a, a few things I need to talk about in the end of this passage. And one is this, when temptation comes, God will give you a way out, and it will probably not be comfortable. I have, um, I have, 
house with one Wi-Fi router. I don't know if some of you have this problem, but if you're at a particular part of the house, the Wi-Fi signal dips in and out. And my son got into gaming. So he's like, Daddy, can you put one of those internet cables into my computer? And I foolishly said, absolutely. And in my mind, I thought, I'll just run it through the ceiling. It's probably pretty easy up there. I've kind of looked around my attic before. It's got all the fluffy stuff and these beams to prevent hurricane roof liftoff or whatever. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I, I plug in the, the cable and I route it up the wall into my attic. And I'm in the attic. And I am not, if you cannot tell, built for small places. So the first part of my attic is great. Maybe four feet of headroom. So I'm doing this. And I did not think through enough where his room was, but it is at a part of my house on the opposite side from where the router was. So I'm running this internet cat six cable or whatever, and I'm getting lower and lower. And then all of a sudden I'm down on my hand, on my body, like a worm. And it's just trusses and the insulation. And I didn't bring a mask. So I'm inhaling whatever that stuff is. I'm sure I'm going to die from that later. And I'm it's getting lower and lower. And then all of a sudden I get to a point where literally to get to his room, it was so tight. I had my arms underneath here and I was trying to make it from one truss to the other truss. And the, the roof was squeezing in on me. And there's nails from where the contractors did a poor job. Thank you, Beezer Builders. And I get all the way in and I'm literally, I, I could have been a greased pig. And just squeezing in. And I'm in the burrito now. I'm breathing in the stuff. I'm coughing. I'm hacking. My eyes are itching. And I see, okay, I can't make it all the way over there. I finally just gave up and I just drilled a hole wherever I was. I said, I'm just going to drill a hole and just put the cable down and find it. And we're just going to tape it along the roof wherever it came out. And I made it all the way to his closet, not even to his room, which was like another four or five feet. And it's like right in the middle of their closet. I just one inch hole, cable. I'm done. The problem was, is I didn't think about how to back up when you're in, when the truss is over here, and there's trusses over here, and there's nails everywhere, and I'm breathing this stuff, so now I'm trying to get out of this thing, and all I hear is my kids say, Daddy, are you okay? I got the internet cord, it came out of my closet. And, and there was a time where I thought, I'm, I think I'm kind of stuck up here. Like, I might have to literally have Amy call my brother. So he comes up here, grabs me by the ankles, and just yanks me out. Because there was a point where I thought, I can't back up anymore. My shoulders were too tucked in. The ceiling was too tight. There were nails that were, like, jabbing me over here. I probably have tetanus and asbestos just from this silly Internet cable. And I'm like, I'm stuck. So I'm praying. I'm like, Lord. If I'm legit stuck, like, I'm, I'm going to need someone to get me out of here. So I sat there. I thought, okay, maybe if I, like, breathe, uh, breathe out, and move. Suck. Okay, maybe I'll just tell Jackson, go, go get mommy. <laughs> maybe she could pull me out. Maybe my, like, 100-nothing-pound wife who doesn't go outside can lug a 220-pound man out from under trusses and nails. No. No, I need someone stronger. I kept wiggling and worming. Eventually, um, I made it out. But it, it didn't come without great cost. I, uh, I ended up throwing up stuff because I didn't put a mask on, and I breathed in too much of that stuff, and I was just hacking up black things for the next couple hours. My eyes were bloodshot and red because all of the dust of the insulation was in them. Fiberglass, whatever it is, I was dumb. I know it. My back was all scratched up and blood was in, going through my shirt. My shorts that I wore were ruined. Um, the only thing that made it back with unscathed are these shoes, actually, the same shoes I was wearing that day. And I wore shorts up there. That was dumb. Fiberglass all on my shin and knees. But, but God finally got me out of there. I figured out how to roll over. And then I grabbed the truss like this and I could scoot and I could see where the nails were with my face one inch at a time until I got to freedom. It was only about 10 feet of immense torture. You don't know temptation until you felt temptation like that. Where there's no way out. You don't see how it's possible 
This is a promise. This is the memory verse for the week. I was going to do, I was going to write a line on the memory verse, tear out in the bulletin that said, I bet no one's reading this. <laughs> Just to see if anyone was reading it. But I didn't because that's mean. That's me being tempted to be too sarcastic. Temptation at times will put you in those situations that seem impossible. I'm in a couple impossible situations in my life. But it's not beyond what I am able to bear, not on my own, but because Christ has borne it for me and I can trust him. And I can trust that with this temptation, temptation to control, temptation to be angry, temptation to not forgive, temptation to be bitter, that God will provide a way out. So that I may be able to bear the temptation. It's not a temptation if it's easy to just walk right out. If it's not a temptation, if it's, if it's, oh, here it is, it's a difficult thing, oh, I can just walk over this way. No, God says some temptations are going to be difficult, so difficult that you're going to be looking for ways out, and you're going to try to make your own way out, but God says, don't do that. Those aren't my ways. My way is this way, and it might squeeze, but you're going to be able to bear it, because the truth about trials and temptation is that that is where we find out how much we lean on God. That is where we find out how much we trust what Jesus did for us. And this thing, if you take away nothing except for this prayer, this is a prayer that I pray every Sunday. It's a prayer that I pray most days. This is a prayer I prayed on Tuesday before we had an elders meeting. This is a prayer that I prayed on Friday, right when I found out that my grandma has uh, some type of abdominal cancer that they're trying to figure out. This is the prayer that I'm praying when I feel helpless. This is the prayer that I'm praying when I feel like temptation is coming into my life, whether it's temptation for anger or lust or control or manipulation or bitterness or unforgiveness. This is the prayer I pray when someone else is being a jerk to me and I want to be a jerk to them. This is the prayer I pray when I see taillights breaking in front of me. This is the prayer I pray when people don't use their blinkers in front of me. It's easy. It's not a word. It's not like halt. It's the prayer aptat. And I stole it. I just stole this from one of my pastors who I admire and adore. And here's why it works so good for me. And I believe it has so much power for you in temptation. Because it's this simple. First, you admit that you can do nothing. John 15, 5 says, apart from the Spirit of God, apart from being connected to Christ, I can do nothing. So I sit here this morning. I say, God, I'm about to go up and preach. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I can flap my mouth, but I can't change a soul. I can't change a heart. I can't even give someone enough to walk out of this room and be able to handle temptation spiritually. Only you can do this, Lord. So I started with that. I can do nothing. And then you pray, Lord, I can do nothing. I can't stand here on my own strength because if I do, I've seen how your people go. I've seen you work. One day I'll have a great worship service, and the next day... I'm falling, just like the Israelites did. The purpose of the Bible is not to show us a bunch of amazing people who are good at following God. The purpose of the Bible is to show us a bunch of horrendous people who followed God as poorly as we did, except for one, Jesus. So I pray, Lord, I need you. I need your help to get through this thing, this temptation that's coming. And these aren't long prayers. I'm literally going like this. God, I can't do this. I admit it. I'm helpless without you. I need help right now. I need you to break in right now and then trust. And specifically, trust trust in a promise of God, a blood-bought promise of God. So whatever your temptation is, you say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust. I'm going to trust you in this. If your temptation is to, to start yelling or get angry at someone, you say, Lord, I'm going to trust that, that you're in control of this situation, so I don't need to, to yell at them to regain control. Because you're in control. The reason I know you're in control is because you died on the cross and you crushed, you crushed every ruler and authority that was against you. You hold the keys and authority to all things now, and I'm going to trust in that. When you're, when you're tempted towards sexual immorality, as the Israelites and the modern Christians often are, you say, Lord, I trust that you're your pleasure that you have for me at the right hand of God is better than any temporary pleasure here. That even though this thing is whispering lies, that this will feel good, you, you trust. Trust that the pleasures in God are better. You trust that at the right hand of God, the place that he is preparing for you, you will have pleasures like you could not imagine. That's trusting in a promise of God. And then you act. You act on whatever God tells you to do. The trusting is the key to this. But then the acting is what makes the difference on the ground. Because I see a lot of Christians who will admit, I'm helpless without you. I see a lot of Christians who will pray, say, God, I need you. I love you. Help me. I love you. Bless them. Come over here. Change this thing. 
I see a lot of Christians trust mentally. I believe in the promises of God. But sometimes we, get, we stop right there. And the idea of acting is too terrifying. Put one foot in front of the other foot and do what God tells you to do. Some of you have been admitting things. Some of you have been praying. Some of you have been trusting mentally. But you haven't been acting. It's a really simple thing. Your actions don't get you the approval of God. You get to act because you already have the approval of God. You have nothing to fear from anyone in this room, from anyone at your work, from anyone at your school. If God says to do something, do it. I was listening to, to Miss Ree talk to the teenagers before service. She said, if, if God tells you to lay down, you better lay down. If God tells me to stop playing the piano, you better keep singing if God tells you to keep singing. If everything, if God says, all of us get on our knees, you guys all better get on your knees and listen to God. And it was interesting because I heard her say that during rehearsal. So then I was eyeballing all the teenagers to see how nervous they were. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Apparently God just told them to sing. Now the next service, they're going to be like, God, do you want me to? Going to have a bunch of people doing the worm on stage. What, what would it be like if, we stopped just repeating the first three steps and got to the fourth step. Some of you already know. Some of you are already like, I know what God's telling me to do, and I don't want to do it. Just do it because it's the, only, it's the only way you'll begin to overcome temptation. See, temptation can attack you if you are in action. It's harder for temptation to get you when you're moving forward, doing what Christ has called you, equipped you, inspired you to do. The people that were less prone to falling to temptation were the people that were looking at, walking toward, focused on Jesus. Not just looking at him, but also moving toward him by his grace, filling their life. If you want to overcome temptation, you're like, I don't know where to start. We got some places for you to start. I've, I've been so excited to see what God's doing at the chapel. I've been so excited to, to feel the new energy in kids' ministry. And like, we're, we're going to start ripping things up back there soon. Hopefully with your help by the grace of God. We're going to see kids get discipled in new, super exciting ways. I get to go to Twin Creeks tonight and Miss Shirley. I, I don't think Miss Shirley remembers us. Because she tells us that she, she was so excited to find out that there was a church service. She's told me this two times. I was so excited to find out there was a church service, I had to come check it out. You've been here, Shirley. I'm so excited to talk to Miss Ruby. She's probably my favorite because she's so sassy. That's the girl, if you remember, if you were here, she flirts with Jesse in front of Don, his wife. She tells Jared his beard is, she, well, she has words I can't repeat because we're on live stream right now. And she just speaks her mind. Maybe your act today is to fill out a card and write a letter of encouragement to these, these gals and one guy that come, Charles. Maybe, maybe your act today is, Lord, I haven't been living for you. I've just been thinking about you. Maybe your act is, I'm going to go make disciples of kids. I'm going to go sign up and say, Joanna, we got this meeting coming up. I'm not, I need to be here. Maybe your act today is, I've been doing Christianity alone for so long, and I've become a complaining machine. If you know in your heart of hearts, like, I'm a church complainer. My spiritual gift is complaints, gossip, and slander. If that's you, don't give in to those temptations. You want to know how to get out of them? Go stand and walk with someone toward Jesus, doing something for Jesus. You know when it's hard to complain? When you're feeding people on Fifth Sunday. You know when it's hard to complain? When you're praying with a lady who says, I just lost my sister. I have macular degeneration. I can't see the Bible anymore, but I want, I want to read it. You know when it's hard to complain? When you're praying with somebody that's not yourself. Do. Act. And then when you're done to finish it up, just thank God. Say, Lord, thank you. So if you haven't figured it out, there's a space. You admit, pray, trust right away. You admit that you can't do it. You pray for God's wisdom. You trust the promise that God brings to your mind because you've been reading the Bible. Then you act on it. And when you're done acting on it, you say, God, thank you for this outcome. Whether it was what you wanted or not, thank God for the outcome. Because he is providing ways out of temptation. When you're faced with temptation to complain, 
when you're faced with temptation to trust something that's not Jesus, when you're faced with temptation to commit sexual immorality, when you're faced with temptation to desire evil things, halt and aptat. Stop and say, God, I, I'm going to fail. I need you. I trust that just like you came through the temptation with Satan in the desert, and now your spirit is in me, I too, Lord, can overcome this temptation. And then you turn and you walk toward the cross and away from this thing that would pull you away. It's very simple. But if you, if you don't do this on a regular basis, temptation has the same effect that ice cream does. Just one little bite, another bite, another bite, another bite, another bite. And you give in. Before you know it, you're finishing it off. Before you know it, it becomes a habit. Some of you have temptations that you've been falling into for so long, you can't even imagine what life would look like without them. Just start one day at a time, admitting, praying, trusting, acting, and thanking God your way out of temptations. He will provide a way, but it may be hard to bear. But you will be able to bear it if all of your heart begins turning away from focusing on just the temptation and focusing on the Savior who overcame them all on your behalf. When you fail, you don't have to beat yourself up. You have to turn back to the one who was beat up for you. When you forget the things that God has done for you, we have a whole book of people who forgot over and over and over again. The benefit that we have that the Israelites didn't is that we get the Spirit of God within us. We can literally ask God's Spirit in us to say, Lord, I need you right now. Speak to me. Teach me. Lead me. Guide me away from this temptation and into your glory. Let's pray. Father, I can't imagine the type of temptation that will hit our brothers and sisters this morning. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm under no delusion that when we talk about something like this, the tempter's arrows will fly swiftly toward us. Before we even get out of this parking lot, they will fly. So equip your people with the shield of faith to put out the arrows of the enemy. Lord, equip this people with a hunger for your word to know the, the truth of your story, that all of the Bible points to you, Jesus, and to your death on the cross for us, so that when we fail, we don't have to wallow in self-pity. We don't have to wallow in, in shame and condemnation because we are free. Lord, help us when we fall to temptation to not sit there and mourn for days, but to get up on our feet and walk back toward caring for the widows, the orphans, and the poor, toward loving our neighbor as ourself and loving you with everything in us. God, temptation will come this week. Wrap us up and show us the way out, even if it's uncomfortable, and give us the patience and fortitude to bear through it. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said,